Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, October 30th, 2023, the 1013th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So over the weekend, we have more of a massive push for everyone to go all in on war in the Middle East, potentially World War Three. We all have to back Israel or we are the worst people to ever walk the earth. Basically Nazis, despite the fact that all of the people telling us we are Nazis just actually supported Nazis in Ukraine last year while telling us that they couldn't be Nazis 
because the comedic actor in charge of those Nazis is reportedly Jewish. Therefore, they're not Nazis, despite the fact that they are Nazis. And we are Nazis because we don't want to eradicate millions of people after watching a bunch of videos online that upset us. So how's that for coming in hot to start a Monday? Leaving that aside for a little bit, though, let's deal with some other craziness from over the weekend. And thank goodness, a bunch of that craziness was captured on video. And of course it was because the clips I'm going to share with you are from television shows. So the people who are speaking in these clips, you would think that they would know other people might hear the things they're saying. But I think it's kind of a factor of the informational bubble that these people exist in. They are in that echo chamber. They don't really listen to or care about external feedback. And so inside that bubble, you can say all sorts of things that might make you look like an evil sociopath to the rest of the people in the world. But these people don't interact with the rest of the people in the world and they don't care about their opinions. And let's begin with Professor Scott Galloway from NYU on Real Time with Bill Maher Friday night. It seems that the COVID superfans are now looking for some sort of escape hatch. They just want to leave it all in the past, make it all go away. I was on the board of my kid's school during COVID. I wanted a harsher lockdown policy. And in retrospect, I was wrong. The, the, the damage to kids of keeping them out of school longer was greater than the risks. But here's the bottom line. Myself, our, our great people, the CDC, I'd like to think the governor, we were all operating with imperfect information and we were doing our best. So yeah, it's, 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 well. So let's, let, let's learn from it. Let's learn from it. Let's learn from it. Let's hold each other accountable. But let's bring a little bit of grace and forgiveness in the, yeah. the shit show that was COVID. Yeah. So that is an NYU professor, Scott Galloway. He is sitting across from former New York governor, Andrew Cuomo. And you might remember Andrew Cuomo from his daily press conferences while his state was the leading killer during the very deadly pandemic, especially in nursing homes, nursing homes who were affiliated with Andrew Cuomo, the politician. Boy, they really racked up those COVID numbers. And of course, you remember all of the false flag stories that we had, like the bodies filling up mass graves at that little island off New York. And we had the dancing TikTok nurses and everybody ringing their little bells each evening to thank all the medical workers for putting their lives at risk, implementing the hospital protocol that it turns out killed nearly everyone on it. And oh, did they get rid of some old people at nursing homes? But thank goodness they were still able to vote. Scott Galloway mentions that he was a proponent of lockdowns for school children. And of course, he was also on board for the entire program. He was a COVID superfan. I remember tweeting something at him in 2020 before I was banned for Twitter for two years. But Scott Galloway blocked me. He wasn't the sort of person who was going to deal with any dissent when it came to his super fandom for the very deadly pandemic. He absolutely loved it. He went all in full authoritarian. And check this out. I'm just going to play a bit of this clip, but this is Scott Galloway on with Anderson Cooper in August of 2021. Listen to how fully authoritarian this man actually is. 
this government lacks the backbone where the government is a connective tissue and occasionally they need to ask people and even demand that they do things for the for the wealth of the commonwealth and it, it strikes me as incredibly weak and a lack of leadership that we have not stepped up and demanded that our leaders ask that people take the most successful product in the history of mankind the most successful product isn't the iphone it's these vaccines on a risk-adjusted basis in terms of what these things can do for you, the upside versus the potential downside and the cost, these are the most successful products in the history of mankind. And to think that our government has been so reticent, so weak around mandates, I think it's, I think it's a failure, a huge failure of leadership that we have demonstrated in the past and for some reason we, we don't want to do it here. It's also interesting that now it's really private businesses. It's, it's, it's corporations which are deciding and being more aggressive on this. And, and maybe that will have a real dent if people can't go to you know, a business or can't go to, the, you know, have, in order to work in their job, they have to have a vaccine. Is that a possible solution to all of this? It is, and it's disappointing. I mean, I've been arguing the big tech is basically our new government, that they've overrun government. They decide, we look to Airbnb to stop renting rooms to people who might be planning a second insurrection. We ask Facebook to stop misinformation from spreading. So these, these kind of have become quasi-governments that we lean on, to their credit, to their credit. You know, the internet has not only worked really well through this pandemic, but they have also kind of stepped into this void of leadership, and they are... Um, saying, if you want to work here, you have to be vaccinated if you want to come to the office. Uh, my organization, NYU, is emailing everybody and say, you have to be back full time on campus and you have to be vaccinated. And I think that's a reasonable request. If you want to cash our check, we have certain standards here. So there you have it. He's in for the whole thing. He is happy that corporations are working as quasi-governmental organizations. Now, that is definitionally fascism that he is promoting in no uncertain terms. He's just flat out saying he wants the government and corporations to collude in forcing the American people to act in certain ways. He is happy that the tech companies are willing to censor people. He's happy that companies are mandating their employees be vaccinated or lose their jobs. He even just said he was happy about pressuring Airbnb to make sure that they would not rent rooms to people designated as Trump supporters because they might stage another very violent insurrection. Now, in retrospect, all of these stories have fallen apart. And Scott Galloway knows that. And he knew it the other night on Bill Maher. He would still support all these positions and say, well, you know, maybe we went a little overboard, but that's just because we were in this world of no clear information. We were doing the best we could. That is his argument. We were wrong, but we were doing the best we could. And he links himself to Andrew Cuomo, the governor who he's sitting across from, and the good people at the CDC who have provably lied about the whole thing, who have been provably wrong at each and every step throughout this process to an embarrassing degree. But all of these are still the good people. All of them were trying their best. That's not true, though. It's not true. And no one would possibly believe this. Again, I was blocked by Scott Galloway, and that's fine. I don't care when people block me. 
I truthfully can't believe that it doesn't happen more often with some of these people because I'm going to say the things that are going to make them look as bad as possible. That is my goal. If you can make someone look bad by pointing out what it is they're actually saying, when you take away the buzzwords and you take away all the social cues and signaling, what you're left with, if that actually makes someone look bad, it's them. It's not me. I'm just pointing it out. But my point here is, People told Scott Galloway then. He just didn't want to hear it. He was certain that he was right because he's very smart and very credentialed. He's an NYU professor, which means that he has access to other very smart, very credentialed people like NYU professors. And the truth is, if a whole lot of professors agree on something, there's no way it could ever be wrong. That is actually what the Academy seems to believe about itself. They think that if they put something out there and all of their peers review it, then they have produced something valuable and true. Their peers reviewed it. Their peers said, oh, yeah, that sounds right. And then whatever they have produced becomes knowledge in the world. And in order to refute that knowledge, in order to replace that knowledge with new knowledge, well, you're going to have to come up with a bunch of new knowledge and then get all those same peers to say, well, actually, this new knowledge is better than that old knowledge. What a process of truth formation. These people were not doing the best that they could under uncertain circumstances. They were following an agenda that had been laid out in advance. It had been wargamed. They had done simulations and trial runs. They already had scripted out their messaging for every stage of the process. They had paid marketing and propaganda campaigns, including the use of celebrity and community and micro influencers targeted exactly at communities who might be in doubt, communities who might be especially susceptible to the messaging, communities of people who might then go out and spread that messaging. None of this was an accident. None of it was about not having the proper information. The proper information was out there. And the proper information was there aren't people dying, just falling over in the streets and dying at their homes. There are people going in, taking a test that we know doesn't work, and then being put on a medical protocol that will eventually kill them. And also, yes, people are getting sick from something the same way that they normally get sick from other things. But even if COVID was as real as they say, and the virus was as real as they say, the infection fatality rate was still that of an average flu. So doing anything at all to disrupt economies or people's lives was overboard, unwarranted, and certainly not the sort of thing that you can just mandate. But it's even a little bit worse than that because he's talking about destroying the development of small children. Lockdowns for children's schools, keeping them from learning, keeping them from the process of their socialization and social maturation. They missed out on all of that and were told that they should just spend more time in front of a screen on an iPad with deranged teachers working from home. And then when kids finally started going back to school and getting back to some semblance of their normal lives, they were forced to wear masks and breathe in their own exhaust all day. Masks that we know don't work, masks that we know can be physically damaging from that, and masks that will prevent them again in a different way from properly experiencing the process of that socialization. Scott Galloway is actually making excuses right there for his support 
of systemic child abuse. That is what actually happened in the real world. That was the net effect of the COVID protocols and the quote unquote mitigation strategies for children. That was collective systemic child abuse. And three and a half years later, Scott Galloway is asking for a little bit of grace because COVID was a shit show. It was all unknown, except to all of the people who were telling him, hey, professor, uh, you're obviously wrong about all of this. And even if you were right about all the facts, which you're not right about, you are still wrong in all the conclusions. And you are obviously a proponent of something that is going to be incredibly damaging for the youngest and most vulnerable people in our society. Aren't you committed as a liberal to protecting the most vulnerable? Well, we're talking about small children and rather than protecting them, you are a proponent of collective and systemic child abuse under the guise of protecting them from something that cannot and did not kill any of them. There is still not a child's death anywhere that came as a direct result of the COVID virus. And even the supposedly good people at the CDC have been unable to testify otherwise. There is not an isolated COVID death among children. There just isn't. There are deaths in children recorded as being with COVID that people who like exploiting these sorts of things will call children's COVID deaths. But that doesn't actually make it true. It doesn't mean that any children actually did die from COVID. In 2020, Scott Galloway wrote a book called Post-Corona from Crisis to Opportunity. And whenever crisis and opportunity appear next to each other like that, people naturally think of the idea, which isn't entirely correct, that crisis and opportunity were the same word in Chinese. Now, again, that's not correct, but you can see a play on that idea here. And of course, we have the long famous adages like you never let a crisis go to waste. Scott Galloway wrote a book about using the COVID pandemic as an opportunity. And of course, that was the theme of Klaus Schwab's book, COVID-19, The Great Reset. The world needed a great reset. The pandemic was the perfect opportunity from that. And of course, we heard about the Build Back Better agenda. Here is the description of Scott Galloway's book. The COVID-19 outbreak has turned bedrooms into offices, pitted young against old and widened gaps between rich and poor, red and blue, the mask wearers and the mask haters. Some businesses like home exercise company Peloton, video conference software maker Zoom and Amazon woke up to find themselves crushed under an avalanche of consumer demand. Others, like the restaurant, travel, hospitality, and live entertainment industries, scrambled to escape obliteration. Oh, hey, those were my industries that were obliterated. That's so cool. But as New York Times bestselling author Scott Galloway argues, the pandemic has not been a change agent so much as an accelerant of trends already well underway. In post-corona, he outlines the contours of the crisis and the opportunities that lie ahead. Some businesses, like the powerful tech monopolies, will thrive as a result of the disruption. Other industries, like higher education, will struggle to maintain a value proposition that no longer makes sense when we can't stand shoulder to shoulder. And the pandemic has accelerated deeper trends in government and society, exposing a widening gap between our vision of America as a land of opportunity and the troubling realities of our declining well-being. Combining his signature humor and brash style, 
With sharp business insights and the occasional dose of righteous anger, Galloway offers both warning and hope in equal measure. As he writes, our commonwealth didn't just happen, it was shaped. We chose this path. No trend is permanent and can't be made worse or corrected. Why does he keep saying commonwealth? It's like he thinks that we're owned by the British crown or something. And we are <laughs> deaf. We are most likely. We are. Uh, we tell ourselves that we're not owned by the British crown. That has to mean something, right? But hey, COVID, a crisis and an opportunity. It was an accelerant in trends that already existed. Now, how did all those trends exist? How were they just in place? Were people just naturally no longer wanting to go to restaurants and bars or to live entertainment? They didn't want to see concerts or sports. They didn't want to travel. They didn't want to stay at hotels. They didn't want to go on airplanes or trains. They didn't want to go to school. They didn't want to go to college. No, 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 no. None of that is true. In fact, none of those were trends at all. Sure, people had reduced their tendency to go out and shop for consumer goods at physical locations with the proliferation of online shopping opportunities, but people actually still did like to go out into the world and enjoy themselves. And other people had jobs and careers in those industries that they actually valued, you know, for their ability to help people put a roof over their heads and feed themselves. And Scott Galloway not only applauded as all of those industries died and those people had their financial lives destroyed and their lives destroyed in many other ways as well. He actually wrote books about why it was so good and so necessary. If you go to Scott Galloway's Wikipedia page and check out the early life section, you will see that Galloway grew up in Los Angeles, California. His father was a Scottish immigrant to the United States who worked as a sales executive. His mother, a Jewish immigrant from London, England, who worked as a secretary. So maybe Scott just does believe that we are part of the Commonwealth. And that wasn't the only deranged lunacy from Professor Scott Galloway on Real Time the other night. And again, while you listen to this, think about the fact that Scott Galloway exists in this informational bubble. And that everything he says and is saying makes sense to people like him. It's not like this is the first place he's ever said any of these things. He's been saying these things consistently for years now. This is who he is. And among the people like him, the people who he's usually in communication with, all of these things actually make sense and are right. Not only factually, but morally. Democracy, the pillars of that are one the peaceful transfer of power. And this guy was an architect of trying to arrest that and a society that is secular. And when a guy gets this nod and says that God ordained it, I'm like, well, boss, whose God is that? Because this is the whole point here is that we separate church and state, that we believe in the peaceful transfer of power. And the reason this guy is speaker is none of us had the time to read his resume and realize he's David Duke Light. Well, we did now. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if he's David Duke light. I read today he has an adopted black son. Yeah. I don't think David Duke would do that. But, uh -huh. he, is a, but he is a religious nut. I, he was the lawyer for Alliance Defending Freedom. This is from their literature. They seek to recover the robust Christian Domic. I don't know that word. You're a professor. Maybe you do. Christian, 
Christian Domic theology of the third, fourth, and fifth centuries. You know, maybe the fifth. <laughs> this, <laughs> but the third and fourth? <laughs> I mean, that, that, he, he uses the phrase the so called separation of church and state. This, see, this is the alliance of, this is, I hate to, you know, fascism, the word is thrown around, but it's always the far-right church folks meet with the corporate power folks. That's Mussolini, that's, that's all these fascist states. And this is, now that, and of course Trump doesn't give a shit either way about religion. He'll say whoever likes him, right. he will, sure, I'm down with, so he's of course going to just cave on all this religious nonsense from the 5th century we're going back to now. So Mike Johnson is David Duke Light because he is a devout Christian, according to the guy that would like an apology for collective systemic child abuse that he promoted. And I'm not making that up. He admits he promoted it. He admits it was wrong and admits he was wrong. But that was only because it was the great unknown. No one could have determined how this COVID thing would have turned out, even though we know that their communications were scheduled in advance. We know that none of their statistics ever supported the notion that COVID could kill at a rate any higher than a normal flu. But no one could have known. That guy is telling us who David Duke Light is. And it's probably worth remembering that the KKK, the organization that David Duke is affiliated with, is a Democrat Party organization and that the quote-unquote president that Professor Galloway supports was actually mentored in politics by a Klan leader for 30 years. None of it even matters to these people. Inside this bubble, this is the total inversion in the false reality that I talk about so often. He's saying that the new Speaker of the House is David Duke Light because he's a devout Christian who believes that he should be using his faith to inform all aspects of his life. That makes him David Duke Light while he is supporting an illegitimate president who was mentored by a Klansman, and he's the good and smart guy. And then you have Bill Maher suggesting that this is actually the rise of fascism, because you know what fascism is. It's when conservative religious people meet corporate guys, and he's saying this to a guy who publicly appears talking about how happy he is that government and corporations are working together to silence and suppress people with whom Scott Galloway doesn't agree on politics. Fascism, like every other outgrowth of Marxism, is not rooted in conservatism. Mussolini was not a right winger. Fascism was not a product of nationalism. It is amazing how actual collectivists are always trying to convince everyone that the bad forms of collectivism are not their fault. In fact, they're the fault of the other people who are not practicing collectivism. They're only for the good kind of collectivism. And of course, there is no good kind of collectivism, which is why it always ends up this way. And they are always attempting to pull the old switcheroo. Now, let's move on from these deranged lunatics to some other deranged liberal elitists. This is the fake vice president, Kamala Harris, addressing 
whether or not Joe Biden is alive and can run for president in 2024 on 60 Minutes, a nationally televised program. Now, I'm sure nobody actually watches it except for in clips online. But 60 Minutes used to at one time be a very popular news broadcast. Anyone who's ever watched the NFL on CBS during the late games always hears about how 60 Minutes will start right after the game ends. It's like a double serving of propaganda. Talking to some Democratic donors, Mm -hmm. and they have told us that should something befall President Biden and he is not able to run, Mm -hmm. that there would be a free-for-all for... who would run as president. You are in the spot that that would be unnatural for you to step up, but we're hearing from donors that they would not naturally fall into line. Why is that? Well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive and running for re-election. But you do know, I mean, that is a concern and, and a legitimate concern, I would say. I hear from a lot of different people, a lot of different things. But let me just tell you, I'm focused on the job. I truly am. Our democracy is on the line, Bill. And I frankly, in my head, do not have time for parlor games when we have a president who is running for re-election. That's it. It's amazing how this keeps coming up in every major media interview done with Kamala Harris. What happens if Joe Biden can't run in 2024? And she immediately went to, well, he is very much alive. We can promise everyone that Joe Biden is definitely alive. And if he's alive, well, hey, that makes him the best choice among all the Democrat candidates for who is the most believable beneficiary of stolen elections. I mean, nobody's going to believe Gavin Newsom, not with what's happened in California and the fact that Californians can't wait to leave California. It's kind of a tough sell. And nobody's going to believe that cackling Kamala heals up Harris is going to run for president or could ever become president. People don't even take that possibility seriously. That is like a joke. And Kamala knows it's a joke, which must be very strange. She must have so many people just fanning her with palm fronds, telling her it's going to be okay. It's only those very stupid, uneducated, racist people who think that you are a national laughingstock. And not to dispel any of those rumors about her being a national laughingstock, she answers what the response will be to Iran. What's the message to Iran? Don't. As President Biden said, just don't. Exactly. One word. Pretty straightforward. So people who have botched every foreign policy and military issue that they have been even slightly involved with in the last three years, their message to the people currently making them look foolish and feckless on the world stage is don't. Now, speaking of Iran and Israel and what's developing in the Middle East, a very murky situation that is very, very hard to read. I think a lot of people are overreacting in a whole bunch of ways that I find very concerning, to be honest. And I've expressed some of that on the show. I do not pretend to be a Middle East expert. And it would be nice if all the other people who were pretending to be Middle East experts would stop doing that. 
And that includes the people who have led careers as Middle East experts. And one of the primary reasons for that is because the world is pretty clearly not as we were taught it was. Most of the foreign policy analysis that we are seeing completely ignores the fact that we are on the edge of, if not fully into, a multipolar world order. The international liberal rules-based order, the new world order, the one world global order, all of that is fading into the background. It's, in effect, gone. And all the foreign policy analysis that we are getting, even from the foreign policy professionals, is wrong for exactly that reason. It is all analyzed through the lens of that burgeoning, liberal, one-world, rules-based, international order, blah, blah, blah. That is what we see from foreign policy experts. That is what we see from the analysts on both sides of the uniparty in our media. And it's unfortunately what we see from a lot of our MAGA allies, people who believe that they are committed to putting America first, now encouraging the death and destruction that might involve thousands, if not millions of innocent civilians for watching some videos and reading some stories online that made them upset and confused. And I get it to the extent that what we are seeing and reading is real, as in representative of a situation that existed in reality and is being described to us properly. Again, it's the same distinction to make when talking about false flags. There are false flag events that are nonetheless quite real, but improperly relayed. Responsibility is improperly placed intentionally, and people are manipulated based on their reaction to the event, even though everything they know about the event is a complete and total lie. We have to view every situation that way, as if that is a policy. And then we have to apply our new understanding of the world, not this 1980s understanding that was used to skew our views about what was happening in Russia and Ukraine. And again, it's all the same people doing all the same analysis for all the same reasons. They were absolutely dead wrong about everything that had to do with Ukraine, including and especially the responsibility of the citizens of the United States to support action, any action over there. Apparently, we have not learned our lesson, and that is very unfortunate. People believe that this time the fake news is telling the truth or this time they have done enough research to prove the unprovable in ways that can't prove something. And on the basis of what remains unproven, there are people out there calling for military action by our people in foreign lands or using our money. What is being done and what people are encouraging to be done will be done in our names. And when you're talking about the violent death of hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people, potentially, depending on how far into all this we actually go, it would seem like we all have a moral responsibility to not engage in any of that if there is a very strong likelihood that everything we are being shown and told will eventually be retracted 
and maybe even one day apologized for, as Scott Galloway was, with the COVID. Oh, sorry, we got that thing about the paragliding go-karts wrong. We talked a couple of weeks ago about that girl who was supposedly kidnapped from that rave, Shani Luke, and she was reportedly the body that was being driven around in the back of that pickup truck as Middle Eastern-looking men beat that body with sticks. Now, were the legs bent in ways that human legs don't bend, especially without bruising or breaking or blood? Yeah, it looked like a complete fake rubber dummy body in the back of that truck. Was it or wasn't it? Well, we don't know, but nothing about it looked natural. Who's the girl? Well, we don't know, but she was someone on Instagram. And if we look at her prior Instagram posts, well, then we can imagine a personality and a backstory for her. That makes her more real. If we say that was the person in the back of the truck, well, now you're just insensitive to this real person with this very interesting backstory. Seems like a nice girl. You're being insensitive to think that that might actually be a rubber dummy in this video that we're being shown by who knows, taken by who knows, taken when, who knows. But it's shown to us and we are told that's the same nice woman in the Instagram photos. That woman who just wanted to live her life and have fun. This video shows that woman. You're just going to have to trust us. But you know what? We don't know who the us is. The us is just whoever first reported it on the internet. Whoever posted that video first and said what it represented set the story. And that story spread. Everyone then was forced to dispute that story. Despite there being no reason to believe the story was true based on what we were being shown, and there still isn't. But today we got reports that that girl's parents have said that she is dead, and apparently some piece of her skull was found somewhere. And I'm sorry for the grisly details, but we are now told that three weeks later, the entire thing is true because of these recent updates. And if we say something like, well, these updates actually don't prove anything. I'm not going to watch everyone get all of the details of a story dead wrong and then reshape everything over the course of a few weeks to say, no, we actually have had this story right the whole time. We've seen this play out way too many times. I would rather be wrong in this direction than just believe this stuff and then promote the mass killing of other people. Shouldn't we all understand how strange it is that the entire world is being asked and truthfully coerced at the expense of their reputations to go along with whatever they're told, whatever amount of death and destruction Israel wants to meet out in Palestine, we are told we must approve because it's Israel, because that means it's an attack on Jewish people. So if you don't allow them to respond however they want, you're a bigot. Well, here's the thing. I don't have any influence whatsoever on how Israel responds to Israel's issue. And I wouldn't want to because it's Israel's issue. So why am I being coerced into accepting that I must morally back whatever it is they're doing? They don't need my moral backing. They don't need me to speak on their behalf. 
I don't need to scream on social media about what I've been told was done to them and what's being reported that they're doing to people in Gaza. We're being told it's okay when one side does it because they started it. And because if we don't go along with it, that means we're bigots. Well, I'm not sold on those reasons. In fact, I find them rather insulting. If you're going to do what you're going to do, just go do it. Don't attempt to coerce me to go along with it and put my stamp of approval on it. I don't want that done in my name. I don't trust this regime to accomplish anything. I don't trust them to be honest about anything. If they tell me that we all must unify with their desired outcome or else we're bad people, that's going to be the last thing I do. We have all of this dead wrong. People are looking for details to prove whether or not the story they saw online is true or false. And if they can convince enough people that it's true, well, then they get to argue about how you're a bad person unless you allow this military unit to do whatever they want to this collective group of people. And then when people say, well, that doesn't really look real. Are you sure about this story? You're asking an awful lot of me based on an emotional reaction you're expecting me to have to this very upsetting and confusing content that you're showing me. And all of a sudden, we have people engaged in this spectacular battle on who is going to figure out the right details of the authenticity of a piece of content so that they will then have the desired moral reaction and they will support our funding and arming a foreign military to go remove terrorists from a very small piece of land. We send Israel money every year. They approved another $3.8 billion last week, and they are going to be debating $14.8 billion more for Israel this week. You know who's saying that? New speaker, Mike Johnson. You know who asked for that? Joe Biden, the fake president, in his little fake Oval Office speech. Have any of the problems in your community, in your life, been fixed? Well, certainly not under Joe Biden, they haven't. So why are we sending another $14.8 billion over to Israel? We are going to watch our unelected representatives vote for that and send money that is just a guarantee of our extended indentured servitude to support this foreign military in whatever acts of atrocity they might end up committing, you know, by accident to a collective group of strangers. And we're doing that because we are supposed to feel guilt by proxy for something that happened before we were born. We can't ever allow that to happen again. So once we've brought that point out, you have to do whatever we say. And the sad thing is that any conversation about this at all gets somehow reframed as anti-Jewish. I have absolutely nothing against the Jewish people. I have nothing against the Israeli people. I am staunchly opposed to whatever this global regime tells me that I should be doing and thinking. I would rather be wrong the one time they're saying something true than assume they're telling the truth. I like my odds. We can safely assume that what they're doing is in direct opposition to our interests. If you're then going to tell me that me disagreeing with that global regime is based on some underlying hatred I have for people I don't hate, 
some of the people I love are Jewish. So I definitely don't hate Jewish people. I feel no hate in my heart whatsoever for Jewish people. I'm going to oppose the regime all the time. And if the regime is telling me I must go along with them on the backs of Jewish people who I actually do respect and love, well, then you're just affirming for me that I really am being manipulated. And guess what my response is going to be? Don't. And that's pretty simple, don't you think? Now, I know that people get frustrated and think that we spend a lot of time saying that things are fake when we can't know 100% that they are fake. And I think I've gone through this to some extent on this podcast. I think that most of you probably understand where I'm coming from when I talk about this stuff. It is because extreme skepticism should be applied in all of these situations, not only because of how dramatic and how impactful the situations would be or could be if they were true, but because they're all being relayed to us by the same people who have been wrong over and over and over and over and over again in the exact same ways. You cannot just get Ukraine that wrong and expect everyone to go along with you again 20 months later, because this time you're not just a Putin lover, you're a bigot. My response is, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and just let you keep calling me that for a while, knowing that in the end, I will not be a bigot and I will also not be the person who just callously encouraged the potential death of two million people and the potential for an outbreak of a kinetic World War Three in the Middle East. So, yeah, I'm really, really OK with my position. And the other part is just from a logical aspect, you cannot just default to the idea that the stories being told to us by the mainstream media are true or mostly true, or even somewhat true. They do not have any responsibility whatsoever to tell us the truth. And you might say they have an ethical responsibility, but they have already told you that they don't care about that. They spent 2014 through 2020, 2021, announcing that that was not their model anymore. They said it was important for them to be pursuing justice while telling you the news. They needed to be pursuing equity and equality and diversity and inclusion. They are not relaying you a set of facts they have no obligation to, and they tell you that. We know their legal obligation was totally and completely removed. They can absolutely propagandize us on behalf of the government. We talked about the Smith-Munt Modernization Act maybe six weeks ago on the podcast. That took care of it right there. And they have already told you they don't believe they have an ethical obligation either. I posed this question last week on Twitter in a poll. I said, is the news media required by law to tell the truth? I got a bunch of votes in response, well over a thousand. I can't remember the exact number. 87% were correct and knew that the news media is not required by law to tell the truth. And 13% wrongly believe that the news media is required by law to tell the truth. That is one out of eight people responding, still believing that the news media has some obligation to tell the truth. They do not have a legal obligation. They do not believe they have an ethical obligation. And certainly random accounts on social media that put this stuff out don't have those obligations either. Extreme skepticism is called for in all of these situations. 
you should actually require a very high standard of evidence if you're about to go supporting some country, nation, entity, army, whatever it is, going in and indiscriminately killing a bunch of strangers 8,000 miles away. That should be an enormously high standard of evidence, and most people seem to not require any evidence at all. Oh, yes, this video online has upset me. There are people out there, I guarantee this is true. There are people out there who have not watched any of these videos and will tell people that they don't want to watch the videos because the videos are just too disgusting, too upsetting, so they've heard. They don't want to harm their delicate eyes by actually consuming the content on which they are being justified a war. And we'll tell people that and we'll say that the war is justified because of the content they did not watch. That is absolutely something that people in this world right now are doing. And that is utterly insane. Anyone should understand the moral impact of supporting something like that on such bad information. And yet we continue to do it because people assume that the content they see must be authentic. They default toward the content being authentic. They default toward the news media telling the truth. And they do this after having seen countless fake videos online and knowing that the media has no legal or moral obligation to tell the truth. And then all of a sudden, we are stuck in a position of having to debunk something that is not at all proven whatsoever. But a lot of people do set themselves to that task, and I guess it's a good thing they do. It would be better if everyone just ignored it all. Because again, you are only being asked for consent and moral license. You do not have an effect on the outcome whatsoever. They want you to help them let everyone else know that what they're doing is not only okay and justified, it's what Everybody needs to think is okay in order to be a good person. They are manufacturing your consent and you know it's being done and you are holding debunkers to a higher standard of evidence than you are holding the regime that you know lies to you all the time. I do not understand how this happens. There is no requirement for someone proving that something is fake. Now, to the extent that that is sometimes possible, you can actually find, oh, that really is video game footage. Here is the video game. This is obviously fake. That is proven, done and dusted. Well, that's great. But it's not the responsibility of the person proving that it's fake to actually prove it's fake. These are extraordinary videos. Extraordinary evidence should be required in order to believe them in the first place. And then you take that a step further. You have to believe this as a justification for war. And there's still virtually no standard that these videos, this content must meet to be believed. Higher standards are applied to the people disputing that these are sufficient cause to become proponents for the indiscriminate death of hundreds or thousands or potentially millions of people. The burden of proof just simply is not on us to somehow prove that we are justified in our position that extreme skepticism is necessary in these circumstances. And it should be obvious by now. Every time we go through one of these cycles, whether it's a mass shooting cycle or one of these new foreign wars that we just seem to have all the time now, every time we go through this, we are shown content that is so disturbing that we would have to be awful people to doubt it. And because it's so disturbing, so disgusting, so sickening 
No one can ask for proof that it's true. And why is that? It's because we tell ourselves, okay, well, they would never lie about this. Not even them. They would not stoop to this level. This mainstream media would never stoop to this level. These influencers online, they would never stoop to this. These people couldn't all just get this thing wrong for the same reason and because of the same cultural incentives and punishments. But they absolutely could. And that is a ludicrous thought. And I understand that good people are more susceptible to this, perhaps, because they believe no one could actually be that bad to disseminate all these false stories and lead us into war. But all you have to remember is they lied about a pandemic. They've lied about everything. There is no level to which they will not stoop. They demand the execution of their agenda and they will tell us anything in order to make that happen. They came out saying this is Israel's 9-11. George Bush, George W. Bush just threw out the first pitch at a World Series game. Isn't it strange? He's done that after both 9-11s. You don't believe they couldn't lie and manipulate us about Israel's 9-11? Well, hey, did you see our 9-11? Talking about the truth of 9-11, by the way, is not disrespectful to people who died in those towers, some of whom I personally knew. Those people in those families deserve the truth, but they're not getting it. They're never getting it. And the same people who told us all that stuff and did all that stuff are telling us all this stuff after they just told us the Ukraine stuff. And everybody's like, well, they couldn't lie about this one. They'd never lie about this one. And if you say they are, that's anti-Semitic. Well, anti-Semitic doesn't even accurately describe the situation. Turns out they didn't use that word correctly either. Isn't it amazing how they just change the definitions of all the words? And once they're changed, they speak in their language while reality marches forward. It is now anti-Semitic not to promote the indiscriminate death of a bunch of people in Gaza. But here's the thing, ultimately. Let's say that all of the information, as we've been shown, is true and real and representative of the exact story we have been told. Okay? So we have paragliding go-karts attacking a recently rescheduled and relocated rave, a desert music festival where people, particularly women, were taken hostage. And we also had plenty of women raped. We have decapitated babies. We have Hamas bombing its own hospital, even though it was reported that Israel bombed it. It was actually only reported that way because the mainstream media around the world is itself anti-Semitic. That is the story, by the way, right now. They misreported that. Therefore, all of the Jewish-owned media organizations around the world are anti-Semitic. And again, I'm not making it up that they're Jewish-owned. They are. The regime has no problem calling people self-hating Jews or self-hating black people or self-hating women. This is something very common. Are we being told that the Jewish people who own major media organizations are self-hating? If that is what they are saying, I guess we can listen to them say that. But it looks like the mainstream media is just propping up one side of the controlled opposition dynamic as always. But let's say it's all true. And let's say all the stuff in Ukraine was true, obviously knowing that it wasn't. 
none of the response would still be justified from us in our name. And that is the point. That is the ultimate point. And that's not to say that it doesn't matter. And it's not to say that it's not sad when people lose their lives from indiscriminate political violence. That is very, very sad. That is the sort of thing we can wish did not exist in this world. But there is absolutely no chance that carpet bombing the Gaza Strip is going to end terrorism in this world. There's a strong chance it might increase terrorism in this world. And we're getting warnings about that constantly, including here in America, where we have let countless terrorists in through the southern border as part of the Mexican cartel facilitated partnership with the fake administration, that slave trade down at the southern border. Now, I discussed, I believe last week, maybe the week before, uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor and how prescient he was about how things would evolve in Ukraine during Putin's very brutal invasion. He was essentially right the entire time. People came around to his position over the course of time, not the other way around. But they called him a conspiracy theorist and a Putin lover spreading Russian propaganda and disinformation. And it turned out he was right about all of it. It would be wise understanding that to then listen to him and take heed of what he says when it comes to the situation in the Middle East. And he has been saying quite a lot. I'm going to go through just a couple of posts today. This is not the central narrative we are getting. Now, that doesn't mean it's the full and complete truth. I can't possibly know that. And who knows if he can possibly know it. And that, of course, recognizing that even that is to the extent that anyone possibly could. And while it's not the full and complete truth, because it can't be, it still does map onto reality far better than what we hear from the more traditional sources. Again, we saw that throughout Putin's very brutal invasion that now is just apparently what over because we don't hear about it anymore. Everyone's Ukraine flag emojis have switched to Israeli flag emojis. And so even if the very brutal invasion isn't done in reality, it certainly is done in the hearts of Americans after sending over a hundred billion dollars to Ukraine for what? Sending them intelligence, arms, mercenaries, targeting. We trained their Nazis. Everybody knows that. Even the left wing reported on that historically. The CIA trained the Azov Battalion. And it should be noted as very, very odd that the same people who were telling us during Ukraine that those weren't real Nazis and they couldn't be because the comedic actor who was president of Ukraine was Jewish. Those same people are telling us now that the Israeli defense forces have a right to indiscriminately kill essentially whoever they want so long as it can be justified as protecting the Jews. The same guys supporting the Azov Battalion and endless funding of the war in Ukraine are telling us that any killing necessary to protect the Jews will be morally justified based on the various pieces of content we've seen online. McGregor said this earlier today, Israel set out in theory to destroy Hamas. It is now confronting an increasingly united Islamic world. For the first time in 1,000 years, you have the Shiites and Sunnis who are united with one purpose, to stop Israel. 
Instead of responding to this, the president, as he always does, is escalating. Netanyahu is betting on this very heavily, and he believes that Israel, together with our military power, can prevail. This is a big mistake. He said earlier this morning, there is no one in Washington currently interested in dialing anything back in Israel. No one is saying emotions are running hot. This is not a good time to make these decisions or we need to look at the consequences. What I see is an enraged American population and probably European populations when they are drawn into this. There are societies who have been penetrated by the same terrorist organizations and elements who will fight us because we are supporting Israel. This doesn't mean we should abandon Israel, but we still have an obligation to protect America first. We are not doing that at our border, in our cities, or anywhere. And he is exactly right. And still, our brand new MAGA Speaker of the House is going to try to pass a $14.8 billion funding bill for Israel this week. And if you object to that, you are going to be called a hateful bigot and an anti-Semite. Doesn't make any sense, but you're going to be called that. And they will try to marginalize you in your own peer group and make you look like a hateful person. And everybody knows how bad it is to be friends with a hateful person. Don't you remember that feeling from the summer of love in 2020? It wasn't a summer of love for anyone who was honest about what was happening. But all the people posting their black squares on Instagram sure did seem to get along just fine. So you're going to be an anti-Semite for demanding that the American federal government stops committing you to a furthering of your indentured servitude in order to fund a war in another country in your name. The American people have been quite clear that they no longer favor funding Ukraine. You would hope that that's because people have woken up and realized that they were lied to about Ukraine. And I'm sure to some extent that's true. There are also just people out there who think it's not that big of a deal anymore. The social incentives have changed. They're not going to get punished now for not supporting Ukraine funding. But we're going to be told that we're bigots because we don't want the federal government sending billions and billions of yet to be created fiat dollars to foreign countries. So they can wage war on, well, I was going to say our behalf, but it can't be our behalf. On whose behalf are these people waging war? I mean, they're saying it's to protect the Jews, but also they knew about the attack before it happened and failed to protect the Jews, despite being one of the greatest security states in the entire world. How does that happen? And why does it become my responsibility and why does it become okay to indiscriminately kill strangers 8,000 miles away in my name? We just had a Speaker of the House removed for going along with exactly this type of spending, and apparently the lesson wasn't learned. Now, I'm still willing to give Mike Johnson a chance, but he was out on Maria Bartiromo yesterday talking about all of this foreign aid and all of their appropriations bills and saying that if we are unable to complete the appropriations process, then we may think about a short term continuing resolution that will allow us to keep funding the government until we reach the end of that process. Well, what happens after they blow through that November 17th deadline? Well, then they come back between Thanksgiving and Christmas 
and try to pass an omnibus spending bill on an up or down vote, which is what we've been talking about the whole time. They might even think about extending it into January so they can just forget about it during that whole holiday period. They might extend it to April, but hey, if they get the omnibus spending bill, they can just spend money throughout all of next year without ever having to put these single subject appropriations bills up in front of the American people and have them voted on. They'll get all of their agenda funded without doing any of the things that they promised Republican voters and promised the American people they would do. They are still absolutely on track to do that. And I said plenty of times in the lead up to the speaker discussion that no speaker was the best speaker. All they could possibly do was pass spending bills that would be approved of in the illegitimate and Democrat controlled Senate and the illegitimate fake administration. And what are we staring at? But I know, I know it sure does feel better to get screwed over by someone with a little R next to their name. And someone who speaks our language about social issues and religion. And again, a lot of people say Mike Johnson's a really good man, some of whom know him personally, and they might well be right. But is he a good enough man to stand up to this global regime and do his job on behalf of the American people? Or are we going to get business as usual? Because the business as usual thing has a tendency to override that very good man thing. People still tell me that Chip Roy is a very good man. You are about to be told that you are a bad person for failing to go along with the commitment of $14.8 billion to Israel to help them deal with this problem that exists over there in whatever manner they choose for however long they choose. All of that will be funded by us and done in our names. And who is going to get mad at us? Who is going to attempt to punish us socially? Well, it's GOP establishment and elite media and influencers online. The very same people who told us that supporting Matt Gates as he got rid of Kevin McCarthy was a very bad thing that made us very stupid and very unserious. We were very, very, very bad people. And Matt Gates was the very, very worst person. You're going to see the same tactic used against you, against me, against MAGA. Because we are going to be the people out there saying this foreign aid should not be sent. This should not be passed. You guys have been taught this lesson or should have been many times by now and you aren't listening. The answer is no. We're going to be attacked in every way imaginable. Why? Because the regime needs the commitment of the American people, of the American labor, the extension of indentured servitude so they can keep creating value with the fiat currency they create from nothing. And again, we're not in the unipolar world anymore. We're already in the multipolar world. They have no future in that multipolar world. They are now the weakened party. They are not the party in power. And you can feel happy about that or sad about that, good about that or bad about that. It doesn't matter because it's still happening. And you don't get extra credit for pretending it isn't and analyzing it that way, except from the regime who needs that sort of support and propaganda on its behalf. They need people out there repeating the slogans and people are just happy to do it. I feel like I've been stressing this quite a lot, but we are in a legitimate information war here and you don't win an information war by consistently taking on the enemy's narratives about everything. 
And again, it should be quite clear that I'm not saying that Israel is the enemy. And I'm certainly not saying that Jewish people are the enemy. I'm saying the regime is the enemy and they are communicating that to us all the time. They don't even hide it. And we're just going to listen to them again and again and again. Well, this situation is too disturbing, too emotional, too upsetting, too confusing. They couldn't possibly lie about this. Therefore, they must be telling the truth this time. I don't want to be called a bad person. I can go along with this. Everybody else seems to be going along with it. That means that if I'm wrong, I'm wrong in the exact same way all these other people are. And I have cover. No one will ever be able to judge me or hold me accountable for being wrong in this situation because so many other people are wrong with me. You know, like those good people over at the CDC and Governor Andrew Cuomo. And that is how people are reacting, even in our community, on our side of the fence. They don't want to stand in and fight. Not on this one, because the punishments are too harsh. There is no incentive, and people will try to tear down our character. People don't want to do it. Every other issue, down. Israel, nope, can't do it. And I get it. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter. It wasn't different or better when they did the exact same thing on the backs of black Americans a few years ago. Think about what that must be like as a normal black American and everything in the news is telling you that this group of people who you probably cross every day hates you and wants you to die. What is the cumulative effect of that narrative on black Americans? I would suggest to you, if it is a deleterious effect, then the systemic racism is coming from the systemic racism industry and not from Americans who would just like to see their federal government be primarily concerned with the needs of the American people, many of whom are black. We cannot keep falling in these traps. The regime's number one goal is to get everyone back on the same page about something, to be unified around that thing, so that that thing can always be appealed to. It is a well that never runs dry. Every time they need to go back to it, there is water there just waiting. Think about what they did with 9-11 and how long they went on about 9-11, how many things they used 9-11 to justify, including the codified abuse of our constitutional rights in the Patriot Act, all of that on 9-11. And here we have Israel's 9-11 and look what they're asking us to do. Everybody needs to get back on the same page because then it becomes that well that never runs dry. They have something else totally different that they need to get done. Well, all they have to do is connect it to this new thing that we're all unified around. They had everybody pretty much on the same page throughout COVID and look what they did. They promoted the systemic collective abuse of America's children. They mandated all sorts of responses that actually just made people's health Worse, they mandated and coerced medical experimentation. They promoted medical segregation, segregating the unvaccinated from societies. And along those lines, what did they want? Vaccine IDs, digital vaccine IDs that can be linked right into your social credit score. They wanted to track absolutely everything for social distancing. They wanted red zones and green zones on where people could go. And they actually did some of that in China. Did any of that save lives from the very deadly coronavirus? No, it certainly did not. 
but it did accomplish a whole bunch of their agenda items. It pushed us closer to that great reset to that point where all of us will own nothing and we will be happy. It enriched all the people involved with the promotion of that agenda. They all seized power and worked directly with governments to increase the power of both. And they did it all because they were able to get the majority of people on the same page, or at least they were effectively able to market the image that the majority of people were on the same page, their page going along with their agenda when it came to COVID. And we saw visual evidence of that as well, because people were out there wearing masks, often forced, but sometimes not. And we certainly know that people got vaccinated. They were able to get a lot of people back on the same page. And since that period, they have been losing people at every step. Every time a new issue comes up and is proven eventually wrong, people lose their faith in what the regime is telling them. And then an event comes along. That is so disturbing, so disgusting, so confusing, so upsetting. And there's such incentive to go along with the story, such punishment if you don't, that everybody gravitates back toward that central narrative. There is no chance that any of this is going to become easier in the future if people go along with what the regime wants. They promise to reduce your suffering at every point. Just do what we say this time and we'll stop punishing you. But they won't. They won't. And everyone who took the vaccine, even them, they should know it by now. Because most people do understand that the regime has been wrong intentionally and manipulative and that none of it is a mistake and that they cannot be trusted. Even most of the vaccinated know that at this point. And it doesn't matter that they apologize in quotes. That was not an apology that you heard from Scott Galloway. At the beginning, that was him saying, we are still the right and smart and good ones. Mistakes were made, but not by us. We cannot be held accountable for those mistakes. It sucks that we made them, but you're all just going to have to get over it. We are still in charge. So it doesn't matter what you think. Another major narrative gets scaled back. Everybody understands it was false the whole time and people just shrug. Now, I'm not telling you what to believe. That's not my responsibility at all. You need to determine for yourself what you believe. And if you don't want to look at the stuff and you don't want to determine for yourself what to believe, that's okay too. You're allowed to believe nothing about the situation. But I would suggest that it might be wise to hold back from advising any sort of course of action or putting your moral weight behind some course of action, knowing how consistently the people demanding that action and demanding your support get that stuff wrong on the most important subjects all the time on purpose. It is an entirely consistent and defensible position to say even if all of that stuff is exactly as you describe it, there is still absolutely no way I, as an American, am going to support the arming or funding or coordination of a foreign war for a situation that does not involve America. And then what argument do we get? Well, that problem over there, it's going to come over here. Okay, well, if you are making that argument to me, and you are not a loud and vocal supporter 
of Donald J. Trump, the president, then I do not care about that argument coming from you at all, because the threat, as you describe it, is a product of our open border and the slave trade being run down there. The human trafficking, the weapons trafficking, the drug trafficking, the money laundering, the crime, the murder, the rape, the assault, the kidnapping, everything that goes along with that. The problem you're describing to me, the potential danger in America that would affect us as you describe it to me, is a consequence of that border policy. The border policy that is a consequence of a stolen election that anyone who is not supporting President Donald J. Trump right now is actively participating in covering up. So no, the answer's no. And even if you took that whole chunk out, there is nothing, nothing about the potential for an all-consuming kinetic World War III that is going to prevent terrorist acts in America. It's comically stupid. So again, it's an entirely consistent and defensible position to not want a single bit of American support going over to whatever they are doing over there. You don't have to feel bad about it. There is no way it is bigoted or hateful in any way. If people wanted to, if the media wanted to, they could spend all day and night, every day, around the year, decade after decade after decade, describing atrocities in other countries, often committed by the regime, by their terrorist groups, by the cartels they support, by their own intelligence agencies, by violent dictators they prop up. And we don't hear about virtually any of it. So we certainly can't trust that what they're trying to do is protect the sanctity of human life. They certainly don't care about human rights while they're violating ours. And they don't care about the needs of the people when they're busy stealing people's elections. And on that note, let's wrap up this way. On Thursday evening on X, formerly Twitter, Julie Kelly posted, New, looks like Trump is ready to turn the tables on DOJ intelligence community for foreign interference in 2016 and 2020 elections in January 6th case. Now, we covered a bit of this on the Devolution Power Hour on Saturday night. So if you want an extended conversation about this in particular, you can find it in that episode. The easiest place to do that is on Rumble. You can just search Badlands Media. But here is the very brief legal filing from Trump attorneys John Loro and Todd Blanche. And this is to the United States District Court for the District of Columbia. President Trump's CIPA Section 5 notice and objection to unauthorized deletions of classified information. On October 26, 2023, President Trump's counsel provided to the classified information security officer for submission to the court and service on counsel a notice pursuant to CIPA Section 5 and an objection to redactions in certain of the classified discovery produced by the special counsel's office. So this is about classified discovery. They're in the discovery process for this case, special counsel Jack Smith. And they're dealing with the inclusion of various classified documents in this case. At the beginning of this month, the special counsel's office argued that, quote, the classified discovery issues in this case are limited, tangential, narrow and incidental because the charges do not rely on classified materials. Through the SIPA Section 5 notice, President Trump demonstrates that, quote, 
the government appears to have looked with tunnel vision at limited issues it believed were relevant. The office was wrong. So the idea here being that the prosecution was not going to be relying on classified documents. Therefore, the discovery process for them would be limited, tangential, narrow, and incidental. And the response here from Team Trump is essentially, well, that's nice to hear that you're not relying on classified documents. But the thing is, we're going to go ahead and use classified documents. And they write, the indictment in this case adopts classified assessments by the intelligence community and others that minimized and at times ignored efforts by foreign actors to influence and interfere with the 2020 election. So Jack Smith's indictment is assuming that certain classified assessments from members of the intelligence community suggest that the elections were not stolen and that therefore Donald Trump was lying about them being stolen, which led to everything else, the election challenges, the very violent insurrection, all of it. Meanwhile, the prosecution knew or certainly could have known that there were wide ranging assessments from different aspects of the intel community that said it was quite clear that there was foreign interference in the elections. And if that's true, then Trump has every right to pursue the truth about the elections. The filing goes on. President Trump will offer classified information at trial relating to foreign interference activities that impacted the 2016 and 2020 elections, as well as efforts by his administration to combat those activities. President Trump will also present classified information relating to the biased and politicized nature of the intelligence assessments that he and others rejected during the events in question. Collectively, this evidence will undercut central theories of the prosecution and establish that President Trump acted at all times in good faith and on the belief that he was doing what he had been elected to do. Now, that will be, in a normal world, an irrefutable defense. Here is all of this classified information that suggests the elections were interfered with by foreign powers. Therefore, you cannot claim that President Trump was lying or doing anything outside of the role demanded by his office, the duties as president. But President Trump getting out of this particular fake indictment is not what's exciting about this filing. It is, first of all, the announcement by President Trump and his legal team that they will present classified information about foreign interference in our elections, not only in 2020, but in 2016. Isn't that amazing? They were tracking foreign interference in our elections in 2016, and there's classified information that we somehow haven't been privy to. And to be clear, by the way, there have been plenty of announcements prior to this that there was foreign interference in those elections. So whether this is classified information confirming that or something entirely new, we do not yet know. But we do know that foreign interference in our elections in 2020, as it did in 2018, would trigger Executive Order 13848, and there could be various sanctions and seizures as a result of that. So it's really a matter of who were these foreign powers, who was working with them, and what did they do? All of that is going to be extremely interesting. And we know that this was true for the 2018 midterms as well, and we can speculate, I suppose, over why that was not included here. Maybe they're just keeping it specifically to Donald Trump's elections. Now, it's not as if we need more evidence that elections in the United States of America are not real, but for the normies out there, 
They do need, apparently, more evidence. They actually just need to be told from authority, this is the truth now. The truth is elections are stolen. But even without that, two-thirds of the country is already there. So that is reassuring. But think about this. What would have happened if the regime hadn't been able to get enough of our country on the same page about our elections? Think about what they did to Donald Trump just to be able to convince people that Trump could have lost to Joe Biden. Not only did they need to steal the election and report ridiculous vote totals and a ridiculous outcome, they needed all of that stuff done against Donald Trump just to make any of it believable. And these are the exact same people trying to get us all back on the same page right now. Just say no. It doesn't matter what the details are. The answer is no. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes. 
with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range. It's hell!